You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. Welcome back to The Catalyst, everyone. I'm your host, Samantha Chris, and with me today is Doug Bobst. He is an award-winning personal trainer, author, speaker, and podcast host. His credentials and accolades are a result of his own transformation. He is a former felon and drug addict sentenced to months in jail due to being found guilty of possession with intent to sell. Doug chose to use his time locked in that small cell to beat his demons and reinvent himself thanks to a combination of family, faith, and fitness. The three books he has written are a reflection of his personal story, From Felony to Fitness to Free, Faith, Family, Fitness, and his newest book, The Heart of Recovery, where he interviewed roughly 50 of the most inspiring individuals who have beaten addiction from all walks of life with hopes of helping others get into recovery. Doug is also the host of the Adversity Advantage podcast, where he interviews people, again, from all walks of life on how they've turned their trials into triumphs and the exact tips, methods, and tactics that they've used. Doug, welcome to the show. Samantha, I'm I'm glad we can finally make this happen. Likewise, I am really inspired by your story. (laughs) You've been put on my radar by a few people, actually, and you've had quite the journey. Yeah, it's definitely been quite the journey. And and then to expand on that, this last year I think has has really pushed us all in a, in our own journey. And it's and it's actually like forced a lot of us to take a hard look in the mirror. And a lot of my mentality on how to survive isolation um, came from like one of my deepest moments, which was which is when I was incarcerated on felony drug charges back in 2008, as you alluded to a few minutes ago, and I thought my life was over. Mm-hmm. I was I was having suicidal thoughts. I didn't think I was going to live to see my 25th birthday. Uh, I was spending several hundred hours a day on Oxycontin. I had a horrific painkiller addiction. I was selling drugs. And, and jail literally saved my life. Like the very thing that I never thought would make my life better actually did. And what's interesting is I cried because I didn't want to go in, which I'm sure most people did or did or do that, that go into jail. But the interesting thing is this, and we can start here, is that I cried when I left because I didn't want to leave. Plot twist. <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> okay, let's rewind the clock back a little bit to 2008. You know, you're talking about this pandemic. Um, we're talking about people feeling isolated, people feeling like this is a moment to reflect and really change their life. In 2008, when you had that moment of reflection, where you didn't know where you were going, did you know then that you, you know, had the potential to really turn that pain into something more purposeful? You know, it, it, as I look back, there was always something inside of me that knew that I had a special gift somewhere. It was buried pretty deep, though. Like I always had these moments of like, man, I, I think there's something meaningful inside. I was just too afraid to kind of let it out, if you will. Mm-hmm. But in that moment when I was in jail, I mean, I couldn't see it. My head was so buried uh, in the mud, in the sand, whatever you want to call it, that I couldn't even see any light in front of me. And it was clearly uh, when I went in there was was arguably probably the darkest moment of my life or one of them, right? Um, I was completely disappointed in myself. I had let myself go. I was incredibly resentful, fearful. So in answer to your question, no, not at all. But 
what happened was my soon to be cellmate uh, was sitting at the Scrabble table and he looked at me. He could just tell I was all out of sorts. My shoulders rounded forward. Uh, could barely like, you know, get a few sentences together because I was detoxing cold turkey from the Oxycontin. And he could just tell I was a mess. And he looked at me and he's like, Doug, you're, you're going to start working out with me when you get through your drug de- or your detox from the painkillers. And at the time I could have been a model for Pillsbury for, so for the words work out um, to me, it was like never going to happen. It meant just never going to happen. Right. Like I was never going to exercise in my mind. And I was like, whatever, man, like you do what you want to do. And that night I saw him do his workout and he was like a more jacked version of Brad Pitt from fight club is kind of how I like to describe him just to give him <laughs> some, well, just to give the audience some context as to like what he looked like. Cause this guy was in shape and he was doing thousands of push-ups, hundreds of pull-ups running all kinds of laps in the common area of the jail. And I was like, who is this guy? And I've been a trainer now for almost 10 years. And he's still to this day, one of the fittest guys I've ever seen. And he kept pestering me in jail to, to work out with him. And between that and me just watching him doing what he was doing and me saying that, like, I wish I was like that. Like, I wish I had muscles or I wish I was lean. I wish I could get rid of this fat. I was like, you know, like maybe, maybe I'll try this thing, but I still wasn't committed. And, you know, one night we were in the cell and we were just chatting and, you know, obviously when you're in jail, there's not a whole lot to do. Um, aside from, you know, playing cards, watching TV, writing, reading, exercise, and you do a lot of talking. And we, ha- we were having a conversation and he was just like asking me more about my story. And, and I was blaming a lot of people for my problems. I was blaming my parents for their divorce. I was blaming girls for rejecting me in school. I didn't have a girlfriend in grade school ever, I, like ever. Um, I was blaming kids for bullying me. I was blaming people from cutting me from the teams. I was blaming all these people and he looked at me and I'll just give you the PG version. Um, he just said, quit being a wuss. And I was just like, well, what do you mean? He was like, you're blaming every single person for your problems, but yourself. Mm. He's like, there's plenty of people that went through what you went through and that aren't in jail. He's like, plenty of people's parents get divorced. Plenty of people get bullied. Plenty of people get cut from teams and they're not in jail, right? I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. And in that moment, it wasn't what I wanted to hear, Samantha, but it was what I needed to hear because it gave me the sense of empowerment that I felt that I never truly had because I mean, sure. I had people close to me that were on me about changing, but you know, it's hard to take advice as we know from the people closest to us. Mm-hmm. And he had no skin in the game. He just was like here, I think to, as an unsung unexpected angel, if you will, to, to really help me change. And from that moment, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give extra. I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna give it a try. And I remember getting down to do a push-up. Couldn't even do one for my knees, and I was so embarrassed. And I remember getting down. I was like, why can't I do this? And he looked at me. He's like, Doug, because you're fat. He's like, I don't <laughs> know how. It's tough love. <laughs> well, and and I know that word. You know, people don't like it. And I mean, to me, I, I, for me, I had no issue with it because I, I was running so far away from the, tr- the truths about myself for so long, and I wasn't just fat. Like physically, I was fat emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. I was bankrupt across the board in all those areas of my life. And you know, you're in you're in jail. It's not like you know, we were in church. So it's like you get you get a lot of tough love in there. And mm-hmm. but I hated that word. It made me cringe because I was so insecure with who I was. And I knew that the I knew all along that the gateway to my happiness was to be to was to lose that weight because I had had, like I said. I wanted to be the guy with big arms and muscles and abs and all these things. And I just, just could never get there. And I always associated 
the way I looked with my, with my, with who I, what I, what I looked like physically with my own like self-worth and self-image and that sort of thing. And one of my biggest insecurities growing up was I started gaining weight at a young age. And I was like, why am I the kid in my friend group that's wearing husky jeans? Why am I the kid that's, that's pudgy at such a young age? So it struck a nerve with me. And he, after he said that, he's like, well, listen, I don't know what else to tell you. He's like, you have a bunch of body fat. A lot of it's around your stomach. You're weak because you don't exercise and you're doing drugs and eating like crap. So your body's a mess. So you can't even physically hold yourself up to do a push-up because your core is weak. And it was true. And I remember getting up after trying to do this push-up, walking up and down the stairs to kind of take my much needed break. And I was huffing and puffing because I was smoking a pack and a half of cigarettes at the time a day too. And it really motivated me because I was like, what have I let myself come to? How did the guy who just wanted to be fit or how did the guy that just wanted to find love or the guy who just wanted to be happy? Like, how did he get to this point where he's now incarcerated on felony drug charges um, and can't even do a push up? And I had a lot of these thoughts, actually, when I initially got arrested, when I was in handcuffs, a lot of my bad choices kind of came before me. Mm-hmm. But it. Um, it really exacerbated when I was in jail because you're, you're, you're stripped of all the masks. When you're in jail, you're fully naked, not physically, but like mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It's just you versus you. And you got to learn to dance with your emotions in a healthy way or it, it's not going to turn out good for you. And we set a goal for my 90-day sentence to do a set of 10 push-ups and run a mile by the time I left jail. And with his um, motivation and encouragement, training me in there every single day, I was able to do it. I was able to do that, that set of 10 push-ups and run that mile. And I felt this light bulb go off in my head that I was finally going to change my life. I was finally going to do the things that I know I should have been doing all along. I, sh- I was going to beat addiction. I was going to continue exercising. I was going to continue talking to myself in a way that I would want to talk to my best friend. Like, I was my own worst nightmare when it came to my, to my words. And I do believe words have uh, a lasting effect on you because I think um, your the perception of yourself can become hijacked based on lies that others tell you. And you, you start to believe those lies and you start to tell yourself those lies or vice versa. Absolutely. So I was always the kid that said, you're a piece of crap or you're fat or this or that. And I'm not saying that my choices were very healthy growing up, but talking to myself in that manner going forward, I don't think did me any, or it wasn't going to do me any good in order to change. And I do think you have to look at yourself in the mirror and give yourself some hard truth and saying, you know what, Doug, you're really acting like a piece of crap right now with your choices, but I believe you have it within, within you to change. And there's a big difference with, with that than just the prior and just calling yourself names. Mm-hmm. And, and so I learned to talk to myself in a different way. And it, I also developed discipline, which I never had in my life. I mean, I had 20 jobs by the time I was 21. I was definitely, I had quite the resume and uh, I developed commitment and belief in myself, which I never had before. I was able to get comfortable being uncomfortable, which in life is everything. Being comfortable, getting uncomfortable. I don't care if you're an entrepreneur. I don't care if you're in a relationship. I don't care if you're trying to start a new hobby, podcast, workout, whatever it is, there's going to be some discomfort. And what happens is we start, we run from the discomfort. And what's that do? It teaches our mind and our body and our soul that discomfort and change is bad. Mm-hmm. And eventually, if you don't change 
something will happen in your life that's going to force you to change. And, and a lot of times when that time comes, it's not for the better. And, and so when I left jail, the day I left, I cried because I didn't want to leave. I was like, I don't want to leave this establishment that literally changed my life. And, and I remember looking at my cellmate just being like, man, how am I ever going to repay you? He said, just don't mess up and pay it forward. And he gave me a workout plan that I still have framed in my place. So I never forget mm -hmm. where I came from, got out, lost a bunch of weight, and then got to a place uh, fitness wise um, where I wanted to help other people use fitness to change their lives. And like I said, I've been, I've been doing that for the last 10 years and been blessed to write some books and, and share my story on some amazing media outlets and podcasts along the way. But it all started from that, that moment in jail. Which is pretty surreal, right? When you think going in that you're being punished, that you're being reprimanded for certain choices and you end up coming out learning so much about yourself and, and really transforming. And I find it pretty interesting and, and almost serendipitous that you've now become this transformational coach. Did you think at the time that you're going through kind of looking at yourself in the mirror, changing your inner dialogue, making these healthier choices, that this is something you could help other people do? Or were you going through that thinking like, I've just got to, I've just got to make this through, you know, day by day for myself? I, I had, I had no inclination or, um, or motives that to really help other people, like in a, in a serious manner, I guess. Like, sure, when he said to pay it forward, I didn't know what paying it forward meant. I didn't know what being of service meant. I didn't know what helping others out because I was so self-centered mo most of my life with my own choices and and everything that I did. Um, that And I never read any personal development books, so I didn't know the power in that. Mm -hmm. But as I, as I look back, when I got out, my, my number one priority was to keep myself out of trouble and to make sure I was doing what I needed to do to get better every single day. I knew that... Um, I had to focus on being on being relentless about becoming a better version of myself every single day because the odds were so stacked against my favor. If you look at the people who who relapse or people who go back to jail after going in, or just with you know burying several of my friends by the time I was you know, 21 or, or as a teenager, you know I went to all these I went to funerals and um, that I knew like 95% of me thought I was going to fail. Mm -hmm because that's what all of my, my past behaviors, patterns, emotions had told me. But I knew if I focused on that, that I would. And I knew if I could just hone in on that 5% or 3% or whatever it was, and just have blind faith in that and really go like hard, it gave me a chance. It wasn't going to guarantee that I was going to get out of it, but at least gave me a chance. And I, I sure try, try to talk to some friends about like the power of my transformation and hopefully to inspire them. But I really didn't want to start actually helping people as a career or in a more serious manner until I became a trainer and until I, I lost all this weight and then lost and indirectly lost all the mental and emotional weight that I've been carrying too. I was like, wow, there's some, there's some power in this. Like how can I help out spread the love and, and pass the torch? Because I got into fitness in a very, um, I guess a very, like a very not unpopular way. I don't know if that's the right word, but a very non-traditional way. Like I was in jail, but I think the commonality that I have with a lot of people is I felt like crap about myself most of my life. And I know that there's a lot of people when they want to work out, I can't tell you how many clients 
the goal isn't to lose 20 pounds. The goal is to like not cry when they look at themselves in the mirror. Hmm. The goal is to feel better about themselves. The goal is to be able to um, get be healthy enough so they can walk their kids or grandkids down the aisle at a wedding. And I think you really need to, in any kind of transformation, you need to attach a super deep why to whatever you're doing before life attaches it for you. And the way you do that is you just keep asking yourself the question, why? So in the case with some of my clients, when they would say to me, I want to lose 20 pounds because I'd been there. I had been that person that it wasn't about the weight. It was because I felt like crap and I was depressed and I hated who I was in the mirror that I knew that's what it was. And I had to remember who that kid was anytime I wanted to quit on my fitness goals. Mm -hmm. And so when someone would say, I want to lose 20 pounds, I'd be like, oh, why? And they'd be like, oh, I just want to fit better in my clothes. I'm like, oh, why is that? Why is it important to you to fit better in your clothes? And you know, they might say something like, you know, I don't know. I just, I just want to make sure that um, I'm feeling confident when I um, am around my friends and, and that sort of thing. And the clothes I wear, I'm like, oh, okay, like, why is it, why does it matter to you? Like, why is it so important for you to feel confident around your friends? And then you get an answer like, well, because I feel so insecure around them. It's hard for me to, to actually spend time with them because I feel like I'm the, the ugliest person there. Or I feel like I'm the most unfit person in my friend group. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, how does that like, how does that make you feel when you look at yourself in the mirror? And the answer we all know, it's like crap. That's the answer. That's that's the why right there. The why isn't the 20 pounds. The 20 pounds is just what will happen indirectly if you stay true to your why. And so that but the word why gets thrown around so much. It's like, oh, it's a big buzzword. Why, you know, why purpose kale, like these are all buzzwords, right? And I think to me, and you know, we're talking about change in this podcast. In order to make any deep change, you have to attach a really deep why. You need to get beneath the surface. It's going to be hard. Like I said, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be worth it, though, because now you have something to fall back on. Now you remember every time you want to quit something, whether it's you want to quit in recovery, whether you want to quit um, you know, going to therapy, whether you want to quit your workout routine, whether you want to quit, you know, changing the way you eat, you can really remember at the core that what you want and why you're doing it. And if it's deep enough, your heart, you know, you feel this tension in your heart, you'll get the chills because you don't want whatever that why is any longer, or you might want that why that why might drive you so much. Like the why doesn't have to be anything crazy, depressive or, um, or sad. I mean, the why can simply be because, you know, you want to be able to support your kids going to college, or you want to, like I said, walk your kids down the aisle, or you want to be the person in 20 years that's still able to, um, you know, run around with your, your kids like that. There's, there's positivity in that. But there's depth to that versus I just want to run or I just want to work out. Well, it's like, well, why? Well, because I want to be in shape. Well, why do you want to be in shape? Well, I don't know. I just think it's like, why is that important to you? And everybody's is going to be different. And I think the other issue, too, is when people make a change. Like, I think one of the biggest reasons people fail on New Year's resolutions is this. There's a few things, but here's one of them that comes to mind is they think that anytime they make a step in the right direction and make a change, that all of a sudden their life's going to get easier. Mm-hmm. It gets harder. 
you're still going to be depressed. You're still going to get times of anxiety. You're still going to be stressed. There's still going to be moments where you're not sleeping. Well, there's going to be plateaus. The scale is not going to move. What are you doing about it in that moment? And I think if people can just accept and know going into it, that when you make a change, I don't care what, it, what area of your life it's, it's in, that it's going to be hard. There's going to be times where you want to quit. There's going to be moments where you feel like giving up, but giving up, not pushing through um, and quitting on yourself doesn't get you the very thing that you want, which is whatever the goal is or whatever the why is. When you quit, it guarantees you, you don't. And, and you got to choose your suck. Like change sucks, right? You know, wake, having to wake up earlier to get to the gym if your schedule is busy or, you know, ordering a salad at dinner instead of eating the bread or um, going to couples therapy. If, you know, you're in a relationship with your, with a partner and your relationship's kind of not going well, or I can go on and on with examples. That's all incredibly hard, but what's also hard is regret and you know, time going by and looking back and saying, I wish, I wish I would have stuck to my fitness routine. I wish I would have made those sacrifices. I wish I would have gone to therapy. I wish I would have invested in myself, whatever the case may be. Who do you want to be when that change is over? You touch on a few really important points. One of them that I want to dig into specifically is this feeling of regret and yeah. choosing your heart. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that feeling of shame and guilt and regret for past choices either that they've made or they wish they had. And although people may not have physically served time in prison as you have, so many people are confined by the prison that they've created in their minds. You know, the, the self-limiting beliefs, the negative emotions, the negative self-talk. How do you help people release themselves from the cage that they've put themselves in as a coach? Well, first acknowledging that you can't change the past. You can only learn and grow from it. And I think so many times what happens is people spend 95% of their energy and time on who they were instead of who they want to become. Mm. And I think it is important to, it's kind of like, you know, when you're driving a car, you know, your past is in the rear view mirror and it's, it's, it's cool to glance at it and be like, okay, like you check and see if a car is behind you or check and see if there's a car to the side of you. But if you stare at it the whole time, what's going to happen? You get into a car accident. So in, in life, people tend to do that, though. They tend to just hyper focus on their past instead of looking back and glancing and saying, you know what? Like, oh, maybe this is an old pattern. It's creeping back up. Let me adjust. Or, oh, that was a lesson that I learned. Let me see how I can use that to grow. Like, that's okay. And I think that's extremely healthy. And as a matter of fact, not just healthy, it's necessary. But once I, 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 I tell people that they can't change the past, it's like, well, what's the path forward? Like, what can you control? Control the controllables. Mm -hmm. And in life, there's, there's two things I believe that we, that we all chase after that's impossible to have. Number one is certainty. And number two is perfection. And, and I think when we spend so much time chasing after things that are never going to come to us, we end up losing sight of the things that we, that we, that are right in front of us. So I try to have people um, look at their, their, obviously their workout routines. And again, my, my workout routines for my clients, for people, I, I coach even my friends or people who hit me up on social media. If I'm at, if I'm um, getting asked for advice, it's different for every person. Like, I think just doing something that you're going to stick to is a lot better than being a flash in the pan and working out for two days, going really hard and then not working out for a month. 
So it's finding a workout plan and a nutrition plan that, that works for them. Um, and again, I, as far as like, I'm not a dietitian, but I definitely can give guidance or refer out if I need to with that sort of thing. Um, and then I, I look at gratitude, like gratitude is a big thing these days. Again, it's another buzzword, but I, I see gratitude a little bit different than I used to. I mean, I used to be the guy that said, you know, just write down one thing you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. But now I get, I try to get people to actually attach emotion to that. Because anybody can write down, I'm grateful for my body and then not exercise. Anybody can write down, I'm grateful for my partner and not spend time with them. But attach an emotion to that. So when you write something down, or maybe you write down three things, like, why are you grateful? Like, why? Like, what would happen if you were without those things? And then the second half of that is, are you do, what are you doing to support that, that gratitude? There's got to be action behind the affirmation. Affirmation alone won't change you. There's got to be action too. Um and then I, I have people, um, I mean, it, it, people who I've coached, um, like in recovery in the past, um, I, I have them focus on um, like their inner circle, like who they're spending time with, because that was everything for me. I mean, the people I was hanging out with back in the day, I don't want to say they were bad people. They were just people making bad decisions. And what happens is if you're around enough people making bad decisions, you'll make bad decisions too, or you'll continue to make them if you're already making them. Right. So it's like, I have them audit, like who are they spending time with? Like, how do they feel when they're spending time with that person? Are they adding value or are they taking away value? Um, and then it's, it's goal setting. Goal setting is everything. And it's, and it's not just setting these lofty goals. Like, oh, I want to lose a hundred pounds. It's like, what are you doing daily to lead up to that? I mean, sure. There's plenty of people that have these all that audacious goals. And I think they should, where they're looking out 10, 15 years from, I mean, I have them plenty of people I'm sure we both know have them, but not, not, there's not one single person that's, that's achieved those things without doing the daily things. So it's like, well, what are you doing daily? Like, okay. Like what is the, what are the couple things you have to do today that'll support your bigger goal? Um, and making sure they're realistic and they're specific to what they want. Like for an easy example. And again, this isn't, I don't see this a lot with my personal clients now because I've been training a lot of my clients for, for a while now. But if I were, if a client were to tell me, I want to train for a 5k and what I prescribed to them fitness wise was, well, we're just going to do yoga every day. It wouldn't add up. Right. Mm -hmm. Or if the goal was to be more flexible and they just, all they did was run every day. The goal would that it wouldn't add up. So making sure they're specific, making sure that they're met. I think the whole adage is smart. Um, I think it's, I I don't remember the exact acronym. I think it's smart, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timestamped, I believe is how that goes. Um, I could be off with one of the letters, but I mean, that sounds good enough. And <laughs> <laughs> that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. <laughs> um, and I, and I think with that said, it's like, you know, setting and achieving goals, because I think there's something to be said for stacking wins. Like, I believe the reason I'm even talking to you right now is because I got really good at stacking wins. It's like, oh, I, I did one push up. What's next? I'm going to do two push ups. What's next? Three, all the way until I did 10. And I got out and I was like, oh, I'm going to do 20. And then I'm going to, I'm going to run a mile. And then I'm going to run two miles and three miles. I'm going to change this, change that. And I look back, it was just me stacking wins. And it was, it was just stacking these like what's next ideas. Oh, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to um, get into recovery from drugs that I had done before. What's next? Oh, I'm going to become a trainer. Oh, what's next? I'm going to do this. Oh, what's next? I'm going to write a book. And you look back and it, it all started with the one thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so people, that's why I, I emphasize so much people setting and achieving goals, because when you set and achieve a goal, there's something that happens in your, in your head. I'm, I'm again, I'm not a, a brain expert, um, 
but there's something that goes on in my head from experience that you feel good. And you're like, Oh, I want to do this again. I want to continue to set and achieve goals. And then it just becomes a habit and it becomes like rewired in your brain. And then lastly, it's, it's the mindset of focusing on how far they've come and not how far they have to go. Um, because I think in life, it's easy to look at what you haven't achieved. It's easy to look at the things you don't have or the money you haven't made the relationship you don't have instead of being front and center and looking at what you have accomplished. Like, Oh, I have lost 20 pounds more than I've lost in the last 20 years. Oh, I have gotten to the gym um, a lot more than I have in the last few months, or I, I have more money in my bank account than I did, you know, a few months ago. And, and there's perspective, there's a big perspective shift when that happens. And you feel better because if you, if you, if you were to pay attention to all the crappy things in your life or all the things you don't have, again, you'd be one pissed off person. Mm-hmm. You've, I mean, we started this off by saying that you've had quite the journey and it seems like you've lived several lives. I mean, going from a convicted felon drug addict to now personal trainer, award-winning trainer at that author, you're speaking on stages around the world. You are living proof that this change is possible and that if you sit in the driver's seat of your own life, that you can take yourself to anywhere you want to go. And much to your analogy earlier, you know, keep your eyes focused on what's ahead. And if there was one bit of parting advice that you would have for people who feel like they're currently on this downward spiral with no way up and they're listening to this thinking, wow, this is the story that I needed to hear. What would you Mm. say to them? Well, there's a few things. Number one, I think acceptance I think what gets people most most twisted in, in situations like that and, and in the in a rut even more is the shame. They're like, oh my gosh, why am I feeling like crap? Or why am I this? Why am I that? Like, how come I'm not sleeping? And then they, they end up just focusing on that for the rest of the day. And they end up just playing all these stories in their head and they end up calling people and talking about it instead of being like, okay, I accept it. It's okay. I'm a human being. There's going to be times in my life that are better than others. And I'm going to give myself some time to sit in this pain a little bit and feel those emotions because I think it's important not to just run away from um, your inner world all the time. And then like, look, reflect and say like, why am I feeling this way? Like what happened? Maybe do some journaling um, and then take some action, right? Like take action on and, and do things that will make you feel better. Um, that are also healthy, that align with the highest, the highest version of yourself, right? Because I think um, in, in, at times what happens is we don't accept it. And then we end up just self-sabotaging mm-hmm. because now we, now we create even more stress around the situation because of the shame around it. So again, it's like, all right, accept it, um, take action. And then just, just know that um, in order to to get yourself out of a rut, you have to do things that will help you get out of the rut. And I think what happens is when we hit times of adversity, we end up doing things that bury us even more into the rut. We turn to drugs, alcohol, you know, spend a bunch of money we don't have or whatever the case may be. So if you can really learn to, to hone in on accepting it and saying, okay, like, I'm here and then practicing that self-awareness of like why you're there. And then, like I said, reflecting and journaling. So that way you can like understand more about yourself and you learn like self-awareness is everything. Mm-hmm. Samantha, everything. Like if you could just like, like the, a lot of the most important words in our, 
that, uh, that help people grow or, I mean, they start with a, I mean, there's plenty of other words, but you know, acceptance, accountability, awareness, action. That's why it's the first letter of the alphabet. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, and then like, make sure, like when I say make choices that are going to make you feel better, but make sure that they're aligned with the highest version of yourself and who the person you want to be. Like I'm not encouraging people to go make impulsive decisions and, and do something that's unhealthy. No, I'm saying like, Remember, like every action or choice we make has a corresponding feeling or emotion to follow. So what are some things that you could do? So for me, for instance, if I'm in a rut, what, I, what do I do? Well, I accept it and I say, okay, this, and th this moment sucks, but I can't do anything about it. I can't change it. What I can change is how I'm going to move forward. So what do I do? I might call a friend. I might call a mentor. I might just, you know, text somebody and say, hey, you have a minute to talk. I got something that's kind of bothering me right now. And I want to bounce something off of you. Then I, then I move. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to go do a super intense workout at the gym. I might go for like a very light jog. I do this a lot. It's called, I call it like a moving meditation. I might take my dog for a walk. Uh, I might just get outside and just walk for a few minutes myself. I might go for a drive. Uh, I might put on some music. I mean, you see where I'm going with this. These are all things that can lighten the, um, can lighten the load, if you will, and reduce the half-life of the adversity that you're going through. And the, the last thing I'll say is this, is whatever you're going through in life right now, and I know everyone, we all have stuff we're going through. I mean, it's, it's obviously 2020 and even in 2021 has been a tough, a tough time for, for everyone. But whatever you're going through right now in the immediate is a golf ball size problem. But the way you respond is going to dictate whether that golf ball stays the same size and it slowly dissipates over time based on the way you respond, or um, it's going to turn into a bowling ball because of the way you respond. Like the pandemic is going to go away. These problems are eventually going to go away, but the habits and behaviors that you've, cre you've created in response to this won't. So make sure you're choosing wisely. I love that. Such sound advice. We just scratched the surface here, but if <laughs> for those who are listening are thinking, yes, I need more of this in my life. Doug's podcast, the adversity advantage is a great place to dive deeper into topics like these. Doug, can you tell us a little about the show and where we can find it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my podcast is called the adversity advantage where I think you mentioned um, in the intro, I interview people from all walks of life not just um, about their stories, but I bring in different thought leaders in the in the health and wellness space, mental health therapists, um, psychiatrists, like neuroscientists, that sort of thing, like all over to really give tactical tips, inspiration and advice on how to help people get through times like this, to get through hard times so that they can, um, you know, come out of adversity and come out of times that are challenging a better, stronger wiser version of themselves and it's available wherever podcasts are spotify itunes Castbox, stitcher and, and that sort of thing awesome doug where can people follow you to learn more and stay connected uh, they can follow me on instagram at doug bobst on all platforms at doug bobst on instagram at doug bobst on twitter at doug um, doug bobst on facebook and doug bobst on clubhouse Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I'm going to make sure to put all the handles and links to your show in the show notes. So appreciate you sharing your story and your wisdom. I am absolutely certain that it will inspire many. Awesome. Me too. Thanks for having me. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. 
If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.